0: Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper and we start today with breaking news and what could be a once in a lifetime weather event for parts of Florida in the United States. Right now, Hurricane Idalia. Idalia is barreling toward Florida's Gulf Coast and is expected to make landfall as a category three storm or stronger overnight. The storm is rapidly intensifying as it travels through a warmer than normal Gulf of Mexico. The majority of Florida's counties are now under a state of emergency. Schools are closed, airports have been shuttered, and hospitals are moving the patients that they can move to safer locations. Cities around the eye of the hurricane are predicted to possibly see more than 12 feet of storm surge with winds more than 100 miles per hour. We are just getting in some new video. This is out of Key West where residents are already starting to feel the storm's effects. Moments ago, this dire warning from the mayor of Cedar Key, near where the storm is expected to make landfall, the mayor estimating around 100 people remain in his town. He's urging them, pleading with them to leave.
1: We're here to beg our citizens to heed this warning This storm is worse than we've ever seen. My family has been here for many generations. Uh, We haven't seen a storm uh, this bad ever.
0: Our teams are positioned all along Florida's Gulf Coast as the storm approaches. Let's start with an update on the hurricane from meteorologist Chad Myers in the CNN Weather Center. Chad, how strong is Idalia right now? What's the latest track?
2: right now it is 90 miles per hour. We'll get a new update at five o'clock. The Hurricane Center just took off now a Hurricane Hunter. I'm not sure it's going to make it there by 5 o'clock, but it will be very, very close. So we're still watching it really on satellite, and now we can even see it on radar. You can see it from the Key West radar and from the Tampa Bay radar if you want to play at home. But what we're seeing on the shore itself, on land now, are spinning thunderstorms. Even had a tornado warning in near Marco Island here not that long ago. Saint Petersburg, just a gust of 31 miles per hour as all of these bands come on by one closer to the eye than the next. The wind will Begin to pick up one band after another. There's your 90 mile per hour storm, and it is still like you said in this very, very warm water and we are going to see this surge. This surge is going to be 12 to 15 feet in places. Now the good news is there's not that much people there. Not many people, not much land there. That's the great news. But the people that are there need to leave right now. Cedar Key, Hatchie, those places are going to be mostly underwater. There's what it looks like here. This is what the radar is going to look like. This thing's only going to be in the water probably another 20 hours. Then it makes landfall. That's the good news. We don't want this thing in the water another 36 hours where it could get stronger and stronger and stronger, Jake.
0: And Chad, there's going to be a super moon tonight. And that could actually make Adalia's storm surge even worse. Uh, explain. Right now, today and tonight, the moon is
2: 18,000 miles closer than normal because the moon's orbit isn't a circle. It's, it's a kind of a big egg. So because it's closer, you get about a 5% higher pull because it's 5% closer than normal. So that is going to raise any of these storm surges that would have been, let's say, 14 feet would make it 15 feet. And you're going to see these tides worldwide higher than normal. But it affects, obviously, this storm because as you push the water onshore, if the tide's going to be higher, you have to add that surge to the tide, and that's what we're going to see tonight. The models are in pretty good agreement right now. Don't think this moves left or right much. I think the forecast is right on. We'll see at 5 o'clock what kind of changes they make.
0: All right, Chad Myers, we'll come back to you. Thank you so much. Let's bring in CNN's John Berman and Bill Weir, both along the coast In Florida's Big Bend area, that's where the the panhandle uh, meets the the west coast of Florida, that bend area. And that's where Dahlia is expected to make landfall. John, uh, you're in Steenhatchee, and all of the coastal areas around you are currently under mandatory evacuation orders. Does it look as though people are following those evacuation orders? You know, Jake, we were just talking
3: about that. We've seen a lot of people leaving. A lot of people driving in the other direction that we were coming in on towing their boats this is a fishing community here behind us a seasonal fishing community only about 500 people live here year round i see more cars driving out that way we saw boats headed in that way so yes it seems as if many people if not most are heeding the warnings, I'd say. Yeah,
4: we stopped in a couple stores. They had emptied all the inventory out, uh, you know, moving it to whatever passes as high ground. We were lucky enough to get a room in pretty much the highest spot here, 58 feet above sea level. And that's lofty, that's alpine in this part of the world. And But that should be enough, hopefully, to keep us out of even a 12-foot storm surge. But they've had that in this place before.
3: You know, and the point that Bill is making there is so important because you drive in here and it's flat it's flat for miles and miles and miles so the concern is if there is this storm surge at the steenhatchee river which is right here rises 10 to 15 feet it could send water very far inland and just for a point of reference uh hermine which is what 2016 right. they had a storm surge of six feet and people were saying they were walking around the marina parking lots here in water to their waist so six feet storm surge water to your waist 10 to 15 storm surge It would be over our
4: heads and so much of this is stick construction historic construction prefab mobile homes so really the 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 infrastructure of this area is most at risk you got to hope those diehards who never leave are minimal this time right jake bill
0: how, how used to these strong hurricanes are residents of this region of florida
4: these are storm-hardened storm folks here, you know, uh, in addition to the one John was talking about a few years back, the, back in the 90s, they had the storm of the century, 11-foot storm surge. And so you get folks who have the mentality that if it's not a Category 4 or 5, it's not going to get my attention, although historically those rarely make landfall here. And so it's sort of a, lake, uh, a local's apathy about these sorts of things. But we live in a different world now every one degree fahrenheit of heating in the gulf of mexico scientists tells us means a storm could be 10 percent stronger right now it's over two degrees above normal it's way above record-breaking 88 89 degree uh, sea surface temperatures which is just steroids like soviet era level steroids for these storms and we'll see what that means later t- tonight
0: all right bill we're john berman we'll come back to you thank you so much appreciate it let's head down the coast now to CNN's Gloria Pazmino, who's in Clearwater, which is outside Tampa, Florida. And Gloria, while well, that area is not predicted, at least as of now, to take a direct heat from the eye of the storm, officials are, are still warning about the potential for deadly flooding and storm surge.
5: That's exactly right, Jake. And we are in Pinellas County. And as you said, no longer expected to take a direct hit from the storm. But that does not mean that we are out of the danger zone. We are about 45 minutes to the west of Tampa Bay. And it's pretty desolate here. As you can see, the beach behind me is completely empty. And that is how officials want it. This is a mandatory evacuation zone, Zone A. And the reason for that is because the danger here is the storm surge. What Bill Weir was just talking about, as that hurricane moves towards the coast over those very warm waters of the Gulf of Mexico, the concern is that the storm will continue to gather more and more strength and storm surge will affect these low-lying areas where we are right now. I just want to show you, we have been watching all morning as some of the workers of this hotel were lining up these sandbags. As you can see, they're lined up all across the sidewalk here. The beach is over beyond us, but this area is expected to get at least four to seven feet of water once that storm surge comes in, if it does come in, in fact, tonight into tomorrow morning so these sandbags are here but when we're talking about four to seven feet of water it really might not do a whole lot now the area where we are there are a lot of hotels a lot of resorts this is an area where a lot of tourism takes place but the place is pretty empty in fact the hotel where we are staying guests were told to evacuate by 11 o'clock this morning and even as we were coming into town late last night you could see that it was pretty desolate a lot of the stores the restaurants had shut down so it does look like people are heeding those warnings, that's a good thing, uh, because it does look like it's going to be dangerous here tonight. Jake?
0: All right, Gloria Pasvino, thank you so much. Let's bring in Tom Knutson now. He's a senior scientist at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Tom, what are you most worried about as Idalia nears landfall?
6: Well, I would be most concerned about the uh, storm surge scenario. And again, the National Hurricane Center is has put out some very, uh, very good information on this, which I think residents really need to, uh,
0: to heed. It seems as though this is really a confluence of, of horrible uh, events. You have the supermoon, which might be uh, bringing tides uh, to higher heights. Uh, obviously, uh, the effect of uh, global warming, uh, climate change on, on the Gulf of Mexico has, has made that hotter. Uh, which has made the storm stronger. Um, are there any other X factors we should be keeping an eye on that that could affect the strength of the track?
6: No, those are the ones that um, that that you mentioned that, that I would be concerned about. The uh, and I know you did mention climate change and the role that that uh, long-term warming is playing. We do find that in our climate models that when uh, you have hurricanes. Going over warmer sea surface temperatures, uh, they are they are strengthened by the warmer sea surface temperatures. Uh, for a two degrees Celsius global uh, warming scenario, we find about three percent increase in uh, maximum wind speeds in the Atlantic basin, something between one and ten percent, basically, but centered around three.
0: You just published a paper, in fact, earlier this year about how climate change will affect uh, hurricane season. Based on your your research. Are you anticipating that we're going to see more hurricanes every year, more strong, stronger hurricanes every year? What's, what's the forecast? Well, the most confident
6: uh, projection we can make is with sea level rise, you're going to have, that will lead to uh, greater storm inundation levels, everything else equal. We also, uh, we're quite confident that with global warming, we'll have higher rainfall rates, something like 7% higher rainfall rates for every one degree Celsius. Of warming. Those are the things we're most confident about, as well as this rise in average wind speed uh, intensity, uh, 3% increase for a two-degree warming scenario. Uh, in terms of the numbers of storms that are going to affect the U.S., that's very much uh, an open question. There's been no long-term trend, by the way, in U.S. landfalling hurricanes, and the models are somewhat uh, divided on whether they're going to be more or fewer storms in the Atlantic Basin. Uh, There's some indication from models that uh, of the storms that are out there in the Atlantic Basin, a greater fraction of them will make make, uh, landfall in the U.S. under a global warming scenario. But that's something we don't have uh, as much confidence in as the sea level rise and the greater uh, maximum uh, uh, rainfall rates and greater uh, average maximum wind speeds.
0: And how does climate change affect uh, the, the impacts of the hurricane, such as the storm surge or, or the flooding?
6: Yes, well, through the sea level rise, of course, if the hurricane is is riding in on a higher background sea level, uh, that uh, will lead to uh, these higher inundation levels, even if the storm itself is not changed uh, due to climate change. So in some sense, sea level is sort of a, a damage Multiplier. So uh, it, it is making uh, our coastal regions more susceptible uh, to the effects of storm surge.
0: All right, Tom Knutson, thank you so much for your expertise. Appreciate it. New video shows Adalia's outer bands hitting parts of South Florida right now. It's winds pushing water up on sidewalks and closer to doorsteps. And this is more than 300 miles away from where Idalia is expected to make landfall. We're going to go live to areas that could get a direct hit next. And we're back with our breaking news coverage of Hurricane Idalia. In just minutes, we're going to get an update on the storm as it's rapidly intensifying and headed towards Florida. The National Weather Service office in Tallahassee posted this morning today, quote, Hurricane Idalia will likely be an unprecedented event for many locations in the Florida Big Bend. Looking back through recorded history, no major hurricanes have ever moved through the Appalachian Bay. When you try to compare this storm to others, don't. No one has seen this, unquote. The Post goes on to warn, quote, this is your last day to get prepared. Conditions rapidly deteriorate tonight. CNN's Brian Todd is standing by in St. Mark's, Florida. That's just south of Tallahassee. And Brian, you're at the top of the so-called Big Bend. That's where the the panhandle meets uh, the peninsula, the west coast of, of the peninsula, and where Adalia could make a direct hit. Are people in the low-lying areas there, are they following the evacuation orders?
7: Well, as always, Jake, when these hurricanes come, some do follow those orders and some do not. We just spoke to officials of the Wakala County Sheriff's and Emergency Management Agency. Uh, they have said that this town, St. Mark's, is under mandatory evacuation. They have sent deputies door to door, knocking on doors, asking people to leave the town. But as you know, you know, we've been through several of these hurricanes in this region before. A mandatory evacuation means they cannot physically pull you out of your, out of your house and take you away from your town. If you want to stay, you can stay. That is your choice. but a mandatory evacuation means they'll come to your door or they'll contact you in another way to strongly urge you to, to leave and not ride it out. But we talked to several people in this town who are still going to stay. We're going uh, to talk about what they could be in for in just a second. But why is this in such a dangerous spot here? Look at how low we are to the river here. This is the St. Mark's River right behind us. One local resident told us the river here is a little higher now than it normally is. And, of course, we're a few hours yet from the storm. This river converges with the Wakala River downstream, and then it's the Apalachicola Bay. And as you just mentioned, Jake, Apalachicola Bay, this whole area, never seen a category three hurricane in recorded history. Now, uh, taking you just kind of through this area here and where the water could push up, six feet of storm surge is what we're told to expect over here. That means that the, uh, according to my colleague Dave Hannon in our Weather Center, that the the uh, wind is going to look like a snow plow pushing this water up here and residents here fully expect this whole area here to be flooded. Look at how people build in their preparations. This house here, fifteen to twenty feet above the, the ground on concrete stilts but of course not every house here is like that residents here fully expect this whole area to be flooded tomorrow when i asked one sheriff's deputy uh, official about what he would tell people who are planning to stay here he said one he had one word as a response he said don't they really need people to get out of here jake
0: all right cns brian todd in st mark's uh, just south of tallahassee thanks so much let's go back down the coast a little bit to Levy County. Uh, Joining us is Lieutenant Scott Tummond, who's with the Levy County Sheriff's Office. Um, Thanks so much for joining us, Lieutenant. Uh, Levy County is in the northwest part of the Florida uh, peninsula. A a mandatory evacuation uh, has been ordered for residents and visitors in the coastal areas of the county. It's supposed to be completed by this hour, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern. The Cedar Key mayor says about 100 people are not complying. Tell us uh, what you are seeing and hearing.
8: Uh,
1: For the most part, we're seeing a lot of our citizens moving out of the way of this. We do have, uh, like our other counties, some of those hardened residents that aren't taking heed. Uh, Don't stay. If there's any message I can send, don't stay. This is going to be an epic flood for our region.
0: Have things gone as smoothly as they could today?
1: Uh, unfortunately, this is not our first time to prep for a storm. So, as far as our operations and ramping up and guaranteeing the safety of our community, um, yeah, we're we're ready, as ready as we can be. We just don't want to have to go back in uh, later on down the road after the storm passes and and have to take people out that didn't heed the warnings. Uh, we would like them to be gone.
0: So the evacuation order says that residents and visitors on Cedar Key need to be off the island before the storm surge arrives because the bridges throughout the area are going to become impassable. The National Hurricane Center says Cedar Key could be completely cut off by an 8 to 12-foot storm surge. How quickly do you anticipate you'll be able to get to the island once the storm passes?
1: Well, once the storm passes, that's when we're going to see the major uh, water inundation come in. Uh, prior to that, we're going to have to weather the the storm winds of one 100- hundred. To 120 miles an hour that's that's not something we've seen in this area for a very very long time Uh, Hurricane Hermine in 2016 pushed six feet of water in on top of us we're looking at double that so our buildings are going to be underwater and uh, trying to get to those residents down there is uh, is going to be a huge challenge. So Governor
0: DeSantis uh, met with Levy County Emergency Management officials Um, what did he have to say?
1: Uh, (laughs) Evacuate get out get away from the water run from the water and hide from the wind uh, we can't urge our residents enough this is not the time to try to test Mother nature Mother Nature will win so get out save yourself take take ownership for yourself and your own safety
0: Lieutenant Scott Thomas thank you so much for what you do and, and thank you so much for talking to us please keep
1: safe thank you.
0: Coming up, why the path of Adalia could create such a dangerous storm surge. We're going to answer that, plus White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre will be here. Uh, we're going to talk about the federal response to Adalia and the administration's new effort to lower Medicare drug prices. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And we're back with a view of Hurricane Adalia from space. This image captured by the International Space Station around 1130 this morning. The National Hurricane Center's next update is coming in at the top of the hour. We'll find out then just how much the warm Gulf waters are fueling this system and whether the hurricane is getting stronger. We anticipate it is. Meteorologist Chad Myers is back in the CNN Weather Center for us. And Chad, the storm surge could really be the main issue here. Yes, absolutely. The Florida
2: Big Bend area is going to act like a catcher's mitt to catch all of the water that's now being blown along the shore of the west coast of Florida. Think about trying to cool off a cup of coffee, and as you blow on the coffee, you see the little ripples, and they all blow away and onto the other side of the cup. Well, all of the ripples now are blowing up alongside the coast of Florida, and in the Big Bend area land is going to get in the way, and it's not going to let the water go any farther. And so we are going to see this surge here. It's not a tidal wave. It isn't all coming in all at one time. It comes in about six inches at a time. One wave, just a little bit taller than the next wave, a little bit taller than the next wave, so it takes some time. It doesn't give you enough time to get out of the way once you're there, But it's still a slower process than people think of this big tidal wave coming their way. It's not going to happen like that. We are going to see the surge along with the landfall of the eye and on the right side of the eye. On the left side of the eye, there will actually be an inverse surge. The wind will push the water away from land, and you'll be able to see the beach for probably hundreds and thousands of feet here, hundreds or thousands of feet, and then here along the coast, that's where the rainfall is going to be. So if you are going to evacuate the surge, where do you want to be? Not here, where you're going to see flash flooding because of the freshwater rainfall.
0: You have to be very careful where you're going here. All right, Chad Myers, thank you uh, so much. Uh, Just moments ago in the Oval Office, President Biden told reporters that he is worried about the storm surge from Hurricane Adalia as it approaches Florida. The president says he has spoken with Governor Ron DeSantis and other officials along the state's Gulf Coast to pledge full support. From the White House, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre is with us uh, now to talk about that and other issues. Karine, what does that support look like? How is the federal government prepared to respond once the storm makes landfall?
9: So as you know, as the president mentioned, he spoke to Governor DeSantis yesterday uh, and As well, he approved an emergency, uh, emergency uh, kind of preparedness declaration right away, which helps, uh, which helps the federal government move quickly to do stuff before uh, it hits on 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 land and also after after also to prepare for the aftermath. Look, what uh, the FEMA administrator and and the federal government has been able to do, they've deployed more than 600 federal uh, employees who are pre-positioned to help. There are about nine search and rescue uh, teams out there, also. Pre de, pre-deployed. What we are telling people is to make sure that they go to uh, ready.gov to get any information that they need, prepared, preparedness tip, and also to make sure that you are you are uh, uh, charging your uh, technology equipment. Also, pre- make sure that you are getting food. Just be prepared for what, what's about to happen. This is an all-of-government approach that this president is doing. This is what he has done when we have seen these types of extreme weather, when he's seen these types of hurricane. And, uh, and so we are there. The president's going to be there for them of uh, tomorrow until until they we are needed on the ground
0: so fema the federal emergency management agency has nearly three and a half billion dollars in disaster relief for this hurricane and for the maui fires and for any future extreme weather events to come um, we just heard from the fema director today she is worried about running out of funding understandably she called on congress to rep- to approve the request for another 12 billion dollars in disaster funds so emergency relief efforts are not impacted at all we should note, uh, Corinne, that request for relief is paired, is combined with requests for more aid for Ukraine, which is more controversial uh, to many uh, in Congress. It might be a sticking point for them. Why not separate the FEMA dollars from the Ukraine dollars uh, so you don't have that problem for those who need this FEMA money as soon as possible.
9: So the administrator came into the briefing room. She laid that out uh, for the reporters in the room, for Americans who are watching, and she said she'll have more to say. Look, as it re- in regards to the supplemental uh, funding that the president has asked for, I don't want to get into hypotheticals. The president put forward what he thinks is incre- incredibly important that we need. If you look at Ukraine, the president has been very clear. We're going to help the brave uh, people of Ukraine as they're fighting uh, for uh, fighting fighting for their freedom, fighting for their democracy in this unprovoked war, as we've seen from Russia. And we're going to be there, our allies, our partners are going to be there for as long as it takes, because it is that important, it is that critical. And obviously, making sure that we have everything that we need uh, for folks not just in Florida, folks in, in Maui, any type of extreme weather, uh, hurricanes that we see, so that we are prepared. Uh, and those things, both both of those things are incredibly important. I'm not going to get into hypotheticals of what it looks like if Congress comes back and wants to split the two. These are incredibly important, uh, not just for the president, for the American people, right? We have to keep our commitments on both sides of these things.
0: The Biden administration has been negotiating uh, prescription drug prices in Medicare, something the previous presidents, including Obama, have promised to do, but but President Biden did deliver on. Uh, Today, the White House revealed the names of the first 10 drugs subject to these negotiations to bring the prices down. Um, We're going to put their names on the screen. Two of them are primarily blood thinners. One's for blood cancer, four are for diabetes, two are for autoimmune disorders, one is for heart failure, um, and, and some of these drugs can't treat more than, than one thing. How soon will Medicare recipients feel the impact of these negotiations, and how much do you think... Uh, they should expect to save. Okay,
9: so a couple of things. This is so important, this critical provision that, that's coming out of the Inflation Reduction We're talking reduction about it right Act. now. That's what I, I, and I appreciate it. Thank right. you for giving us this opportunity because we're talking about 9 million Medicare beneficiaries who are going to really feel uh, the relief of these 10 drugs as far as costs. We're talking about $160 billion of, of savings that taxpayers are going to have when we look at what the health care benefits are coming out of the Inflation Reduction rate, this is huge. You look at these 10 these 10 drugs. In 2022, mm-hmm. they cost uh, Americans who are who take these 10 drugs 3.2 billion dollars. That's $6,000 out of pocket for just one drug. Right. And so this is a tremendous, tremendous thing is, as you just said, 33 years. It took 33 years to make this happen. And what the president has been able to do is beat big pharma, because now Medicare is allowed to negotiate. It's going to take some time. We're going to you know, Americans are going to see this effect, the effect of this in 2026 as it relates to these 10 drugs. But the Inflation Reduction Act has already been working about 15 million Americans are going are seeing $800 per year in savings in health care mm-hmm. you think about the insulin 35 bucks uh, for senior citizens when it's capped at 35 bucks uh, for senior citizens and that is incredibly important as well so we're seeing the effects of an inflation reduction act that only Democrats voted for a year ago
0: so you said the president beat Big Pharma but big Pharma said well I mean, if it were up to them, they'll say not so fast uh, because several companies and industry groups have filed, as you know, multiple lawsuits claiming that these negotiations are unconstitutional. Some of the bigger names include uh, Pharma, that's the trade organization, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, is the White House concerned at all uh, about not, this pushback? We're not
9: concerned. Look, you talked about the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution, Jake, that says that Medicare cannot negotiate with ph- pharmaceutical companies. There's nothing, There's nothing in the nothing
0: Constitution about Medicare.
9: Well, here's the thing. It, look, we believe that we have strong standing ground legally, and we believe that we are we're going we're going to fight this and we're going to win this. We're going to leave that to the Department of Justice to do the to 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 move this process along. I do want to say one quick thing. Today, there was this this, uh, gentleman named Stephen who introduced the president. He's a senior citizen, uh, Medicare benefactor. He has a rare uh, blood cancer, and he also has type 2 uh, diabetes. He pays $16,000 a month. $16,000 $16,000 a month for his for his medication. Nobody should have to live this way. He does not want to retire because he doesn't know how he would be able to afford this. Right. One of the medications uh, that we announced today of the 10 is on that list and it's going to save him some money. This is what we're talking about. And this is what the president has been very steadfast about, lowering costs, especially health care costs for Americans.
0: I have two more questions. Will sure. you stick around so that I can pay Absolutely. some bills here and then uh, and come back and ask <laughs> you the questions? Bills. Absolutely. We'll be right uh, back. Thank you so much. And we're back with Biden White House press secretary, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre. Thank you for sticking around. I'm, ex- I'm excited to ask you this next question, although <laughs> you might wish that you hadn't stuck around. So a new Associated Press poll finds that most Americans believe that President Biden is too old to be president. The poll looked at 80-year-old President Biden versus 77-year-old Donald Trump. 77% of adults say Biden is too old to be president. 51% of adults say Trump is too old. And if you look at the breakdown by party, Republicans generally don't think of Trump's age as an issue. But both Democrats and Republicans agree Biden is too old. So here's the question. Is the White House worried that questions about President Biden's stamina could ultimately impact whether or not voters will be able to support him for a second term.
9: So I'm going to be careful about 2024. I can't speak to that directly, but... You can because, talk about the perception well, no,
0: of the public with the president's I, stamina I, I, and his age.
9: I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about okay. that. I get asked that question a lot. Here's the thing. You know, what this president brings to this administration is wisdom and experience. And you and that is just true. With As senator, as vice president, and now as president. And we just talked about, we had a really, and I appreciate the conversation that we had on Medicare, the the 10, the first 10 tranche of uh, of, of uh, prescription drugs that we just introduced because of the Inflation Reduction Act. And that is the thing that the president is able to do is deliver, really move forward historic pieces of legislation, change the lives of Americans for generations to come. And that is what we focus on, the president's record and what he's been able to do. Look. People have come after the president about his age. They did it in 2019. They did it in 2020 leading into the general election. And they they did it in 2022. And guess what? He beats them every time because he has his finger on the pulse on what it is that the American people need. He talks about issues that really matter to the American people. And he is delivering. Is there more work to be done? There's always more work to be done. But we are happy to take that on. Certainly not going to talk about 2024. But what I can speak to is what the president has been able to deliver day after day for the American
0: people. Okay. So you're part of the 23% of adults... (laughs) <laughs> who is not? Who are not concerned about the president's ability to be president because of his age and stamina. I got it. That's but, because s- you've
9: got to do is watch, but him, 77 watch percent,
0: him. But 77% of adults are worried. That includes Democrats who are presumably will vote for him. What did you make of it the other day when uh, former Ambassador and Governor Nikki Haley uh, said that President Biden is, is, I'm paraphrasing here, but something along the lines of, you know, um, degrading before our eyes and that ultimately Vice President Kamala Harris will be president in a second term.
9: Look I, again. I'm not going to respond directly to uh, to uh, Nikki Haley. Uh, not going to do that. Can't do that. Hatch Act. Got to be really mindful and careful here. What I can speak to is look at his record. Look what he has been able to do. We literally just talked about these 10 drugs and, and Medicare being able to uh, negotiate with pharmaceutical companies, which is something that no other no other politician has been able to do. 33 years that they've been trying to do it. This president made it made it get it made it happen. This is a president again. And you asked me about Ukraine, right? You asked me about the supplemental funding. He, did, he has done something internationally, right, around the world, which is bring our allies and our partners together, especially what we saw after the last administration. This is a president that knows how to get the work done, who is focused on the American people. That's what I will speak to. I'll speak to his record and his record stands alone and it is uh, something that Americans should be proud of, something that we all are proud of on all of the historic amount of le- pieces of legislation. Right, but He's I'm talking about his
0: done. age and his stamina and his ability yeah. to do the job and you're talking about the record. And I understand yeah. why you'd yeah. rather talk about the record. Yeah. But I'm talking about what Americans see when they turn on the TV and they see, you know, Joe Biden's been in politics since before, literally since before okay. you were born. Way, and like that he's he's
9: okay. well, well, let's talk, aged. No, well, let's talk about this. as we all do. Let's talk about this. And you all talked about this back when we were, uh, when, we were when we were marking the one year uh, anniversary. Right. The uh, of, of the war in Ukraine, the unprovoked war by Russia. Mm. What did the president do? He went to Kyiv. And he was there with the with the alarms blaring in the back and people were so impressed that he was able to be there and look strong and represent uh, represent the, Amer- the American people in Kyiv uh, in a war zone country. And that's what you saw. Well, I'm not right? saying he's
0: not able to walk.
9: No, but I'm no, but saying... you're saying, you're talking about his strength, right? You're talking about how he's looking right now. That is, but, yeah, I, but,
0: look, I think like the average but, American male but, only but, lives to be but, 77 thing, or something. But here's
9: the thing, Jake. People saw him and were impressed that he was able to do that, that he was able to be there and okay. present the American people. Look, the president says this all the time. Watch him, right? Watch him. And he, uh, he I've, I've had a They are watching him. That's what I'm saying. No, no, that's
0: no, no, the fun. 77% who are concerned.
9: No, no, no. But I I've, I've had conversations with some of your colleagues in the White House Press Corps when we travel abroad how it is hard for us to keep up with this president uh, who is constantly, constantly working every day to get things done and making sure that we are delivering for the American people. And that's what, and I think that's what matters. I get it. I get what you're asking me, but the record matters too, Jake. What he's been able to do, no other president has been able to do if you look at his legislative record. And that matters.
0: You mentioned Ukraine. So let me uh, bring in another topic having to do with Russia. Uh, Because Russia released rare video of detained American former Marine Paul Whelan in their custody. and You can see Whelan uh, wearing a Russian prison uniform in different parts of the prison. The video includes shots of him using a sewing machine, eating in a cafeteria. The video also shows him responding uh, to a reporter uh, asking him questions. Let's uh, roll that.
6: So you understand when I say that I can't do an interview, which means I can't answer any questions.
0: So he's been in that Russian prison since 2018, accused of espionage falsely, the U.S. government says. Is the U.S. any closer to securing his release and bringing him home or Evan Gershkovich?
9: So here's what I can say. We are working very hard to bring them home to their families, Paul and Evan. Uh, I wish I had some groundbreaking announcement to make to you today. I do not. What I can say is that U.S. officials have been in touch uh, with Paul for the past several months. And and I will uh, repeat what his brother said today, is how, looking at that footage, he looks unbowed. uh, And uh, he has been courageous, uh, Paul has been, and he has been incredibly impressive. Uh, over these past several months, especially. And it doesn't, uh, it will never deter us from saying what we say at all times, right, when it relates to Paul Whelan, which is uh, it is unacceptable what Russia has done. And we will continue to say that he needs to be released immediately.
0: All right, Karine Jean-Pierre. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Good Thank to see you, you.
9: Hopefully you have me back.
0: Yeah, uh, anytime, <laughs> anytime. A live look at the Sunshine Skyway Bridge in St. Petersburg, Florida. You can see the winds bouncing the camera there along the Gulf Coast as Hurricane Adalia moves in. Two major airports in Florida are now closed. This ripple effect could have a nationwide impact as airlines reroute flights ahead of a big holiday travel weekend, Labor Day. Plus, a new not guilty plea from a key figure in the Fulton County case into efforts to overturn the The 2020 election in Georgia. We'll be right back. We have some live pictures for you from Key West now, which is starting to feel some of the outer bands of Hurricane Adalia. A new update on the storm is just minutes away. We'll see if the hurricane has been strengthening and is more dangerous than even before in our Law and Justice lead, the many legal problems facing former President Donald Trump and his allies. Let's bring in CNN's Jessica Schneider. Monitoring developments in Georgia, where a state court is preparing for next week's arraignments in the election interference case against Trump and his 18 co-defendants accused of trying to steal Georgia, essentially, in its electoral votes. Um, Jessica, according to a new court filing, attorney Sidney Powell, uh, who even Donald Trump is said to have thought was a Nut, I think was his term for it. She has entered a not guilty plea and said she would waive her arraignment in the case in Fulton County. She's a major figure in Trump's post-election legal challenges. And another co-defendant in the Georgia case, Ray Smith, also pleaded not guilty. So of the 19... That's two. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many others are expected to enter pleas and waive the arraignments?
10: Yeah, I think this is something that we're going to see throughout the next few days as we lead up to that scheduled arraignment date of September 6th, which is next Wednesday. We've seen Sidney Powell, Ray Smith, he was a campaign attorney for Trump. We've also seen one other, uh, and Kuti. She was that former publicist for Kanye West, and she was involved allegedly in harassing an election worker. So this is a definite option for these defendants. They can waive their appearances, plead not guilty. That means Means they don't have to physically come to the courtroom. That's sort of what we're expecting for the former president, Mark Meadows, others, for them to waive this, not have to appear. There's also the option to appear virtually. So we're not expecting actually a lot of activity at the courthouse, in the courtroom on September
0: 6th. Why would anybody not waive it? I don't well, understand. Well, good
10: question. I mean, they've already had to go to the courthouse for the bond hearing and to get processed. So you're right. They probably won't want to show up again if they can do this easily. Otherwise, the judge has to approve it, though.
0: Okay, Jessica Snyder, thanks so much. Coming up next, the brand-new forecast for Hurricane Adalia that's just coming in. Stay with us. This is CNN Breaking News. And welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We do indeed start this hour with some breaking news. The hurricane barreling toward the Gulf Coast of Florida. Moments ago, the National Weather Service update showed that Idalia is now even stronger than before. It is a Category 2 storm Adalia has been rapidly gathering strength, fueled by the extremely warm water in the Gulf of Mexico. Adalia is expected to become a Category 3 storm, if not even stronger, when it makes landfall in Florida. These are live pictures out of Cedar Key, Florida, near where Adalia is expected to make landfall. The National Hurricane Center says it is worried that Cedar Key could be cut off by 8 to 12 feet of storm surge, 8 to 12 feet. Later this hour, we expect an update on storm preparations from the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. We'll bring that to you live. Until then, our CNN teams are live on the ground across Florida, covering the storm from every angle. We're going to start with CNN chief meteorologist Chad Myers in the CNN Weather Center. And Chad, tell us the the latest on Adalia and its path.
2: Yeah, the 5 o'clock advisory just in, not even time for our computer to go yet. There you go, 100-mile-per-hour storm, a Category 2 with 120-mile-per-hour gusts. The hurricane hunter that I said was leaving Biloxi did make it to the storm, so they did get the update at 100, moving to the north at 16 miles per hour. That means this storm isn't going to be in the water more than about 18 more hours, probably even less if this is picking up forward speed. That is a good thing. Because we don't want this in the water for 35 more hours getting more and more strength to it. That is one of the good pieces. Another thing that happened in the 5 o'clock advisory is that the track has been shifted about 20 miles to the west. Away from Cedar Key, away from Hatchie, but a little bit farther and closer to St. Mark's where our Brian Todd is. And even a very significant blow likely to Tallahassee with all of those big trees that are there. You get wind gusts to 80, 90 miles per hour. We're going to lose so many trees and so many power lines in Tallahassee. It may not be recognizable if this thing keeps going in that direction. There is the eye. You can now see it from the Tampa radar and also from the Key West radar. So yes, it has been circular. Yes, the storm is breathing. And now we're expecting that rapid intensification over the next 18 hours while it's still in the water before it makes landfall there in Appalachie Bay. That's the area, that's the catcher's mitt that's going to catch all of this storm surge. Significant storm surge, a lot of rainfall as well, and then all of a sudden you're going to push that rain, try to drain it back into places that have a saltwater surge, so flash flooding is certainly, certainly likely.
0: And Chad, explain why exactly these storm surges uh, of just a few feet can be so dangerous on the west coast of Florida. Sure.
2: Well, I mean, there's so much here that is a flat part of the country, a flat part of Florida. So we're looking here at more than 12 feet of surge, but that doesn't just mean it's all going to come in all at one time. It comes in one wave after another. Each wave is four inches taller than the next, and it just keeps on going and keeps on going. And why that is significant is that when you start to push the water, even a foot or two feet of water onto land. You don't get just two feet flooding. You get hundreds of feet flooding as the water pushes up the shore. And then all of a sudden, because it's so flat, you start to raise that to four feet. Now you've lost uh, half a mile of beach. And then you do it again and you go all the way to what we're expecting. And then you've lost homes that are not on stilts. And even some homes that are on stilts may not make it through this. This is going to be one significant surge because of the shape of the coastline. It's not going to be a glancing blow it's going to be a catching blow that area is going to catch all of the water and it can't go anywhere except up the rivers up the creeks into saint marks all the way possibly pushing water all the way up you know some spots even i-10 could see a little bit of a surge not something that's going to knock the power lines down or knock the the street down but with all of this wind we are definitely going to see thousands if not more than thousands could be millions Big, big pine trees, live oaks that will be fallen, that will all have to be picked up as the power lines have to go back up. There's going to be a long, long loss of electricity.
0: Chad Myers, thank you so much. Let's go now to CNN's chief climate correspondent, Bill Weir, who's in Steenhatchee, Florida, about 90 miles south of Tallahassee. And Bill, the water temperature in the Gulf of Mexico has been exceedingly warm. Um, how is that record warm water? How is it contributing Uh, to the strengthening of this monster storm.
4: Well, uh, heat, hot water is the engine for hurricanes, and the engines we're seeing now are bigger than ever before. The Gulf of Mexico had never seen a surface temperature above 87 degrees Fahrenheit until August, when it went to 88, over two and a half degrees above the average for the last 20, 25 years or so. And so... That engine has the potential, every one degree above normal, has the potential to add 10% more strength to a hurricane. There's a lot of other factors at play there, but, you know, winds that would be 120, could be 135, and so on as you go up the chain. And as Chad was talking about, there's nowhere for this water surge to go than up the rivers. Here is Exhibit A. Uh, Here we are in Steenhatchee. This is the Steenhatchee River, and it's a beautiful fishing community here. We're at the height of scallop season, actually, right now. It would be hugely popular, the the hotels and inns here, uh, with anglers of all sorts, but scallopers and crabbers as well. It's a historic community, a lot of older construction, wooden construction here. And they had about six feet of storm surge in 2016, the last big storm to come through here. They're talking 12 feet, so that's twice as high So, so many of these uh, homes here. There, you have a few on stilts, but there's a lot of prefabricated mobile home styles in this area as well. And those are no match for, for 10, 12 feet of storm surge. As we saw less than a year ago, uh, I was south of here getting ready uh, you know, for Hurricane Ian, which turned out to be the, the, the most costly. 156 lives lost in that storm. Most of them, Lee County, storm surge, where it just came up and you had no way to navigate so much floating debris, cars floating, even just a couple feet of storm surge. And when everything is shaken loose, it's so hard to hang on. So the the warning here is to get out uh, of this county. We're right on the border here of Dixie County as well. Get out, but there's always that, you know, two, 3%, maybe more of the diehards who say, I'm never leaving the storm. Those are the ones the first responders are worried about in moments like this, Jake.
0: All right, Bill Weir, thank you so much. We'll check back with you to Tampa now. And CNN's Carlos Suarez. Carlos, a storm surge of four to seven feet above normal tidal levels is expected in and around Tampa Bay. Millions of people live in that area. How are they preparing? Yeah, that's exactly
11: right, Jake. So right now there are two mandatory evacuations. One of them is right here in Hillsborough County, which is home to the Tampa Bay area. The other is just to the west of us in Pinellas County. Uh, That's home to the Sweetwater. uh, Uh, Clearwater, rather, and St. Pete area. Now, the concern going into tomorrow here in Hillsborough County, the Tampa Bay area, is going to be the flooding, right? Because we're talking about a storm surge, as you noted, Jacob, anywhere between 4 to 7 feet. Now, right now, the tide is falling, but this time tomorrow, we expect to take into account, of course, all of this rain, which has already started to fall. We're talking about anywhere between 4 to 8 inches of it. We've also got to figure in high tide. And then we've got all of that storm surge that is going to make its way here again jake the concern at this hour is the flooding hurricane shelters have opened and we're told those can house up to 20,000 people
0: all right carlos suarez in tampa for us thank you so much let's stay with the tampa area right now and bring in the tampa fire rescue chief barbara T- uh, trip chief trip uh, forecasters are predicting up to a few feet above the previous record storm surge in tampa bay a few feet above that you, you're born and raised in tampa how concerned are you how are you preparing
12: we're definitely concerned so we did do evacuation zone for those low-line areas and we're making sure families are protected we have many shelters that are open and we have an emergency uh, re-entry uh, Program that we won't allow those families to go back in until after that surge has cleared. And you know, we expect the, uh, the surge to take place tomorrow afternoon, uh, pretty much between 11 and 1. And pretty much the water is going to last around until about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're going to make sure the area is safe before we let families back in.
0: And you, you cautioned residents yesterday, noting that once the storm reaches a certain wind speed, uh, Tampa Fire Rescue will not be able to respond quickly. What, what is that wind speed? And and what do you do if calls begin to come in after that wind speed has been reached?
12: So we make sure we let the community know what levels that we can respond to. And usually we don't want to put our people in danger. So that's why we try to get everyone to make sure they evacuate uh, early and make sure that they get out of the area. So in case if they do have emergency, we will be able to help them. But once the wind speed get up about 50 miles an hour, it is unsafe for us to put any large apparatus out there in the field.
0: Peak storm conditions are expected from 11 p.m. tonight through 9 a.m. tomorrow in Tampa, meaning that the worst could come when it's pitch black and it's in the middle of the night, maybe even no electricity. Uh, I imagine that complicates rescue efforts quite a bit.
12: It does, and you know, gratefully we do have a lot of lights that we can project. We have other departments that we are working with. Uh, We also work with the electrical company as well to go out to these areas that might have no power. So we are pretty much prepared. We have been working with the state and local government to assist us if we need the assistance.
0: All right, Tampa Fire Chief Barbara Tripp, uh, thanks to you and thank you for what you do, appreciate it. We're just starting to see the outer bands of Hurricane Nadalia hitting Florida. Coming up next, an update from the National Hurricane Center about why this storm might be more dangerous than previous hurricanes. The latest on Hurricane Adalia after this quick break. And we're back with our breaking news coverage of Hurricane Adalia. Moments ago, we got an update from the National Hurricane Center noting that Adalia is now considered a Category 2 storm and is expected to keep strengthening before making landfall along florida's gulf coast this evening let's go to st mark's florida just south of tallahassee where we find cnn's brian todd he's at the top of the so-called big bend the big bend is where the panhandle meets the western coast of the peninsula of florida and brian the new hurricane track sends the eye of the storm even closer to where you are right now what are officials saying to those who have made the decision to stay Well,
7: Jake, I just asked an emergency management official that very question. What do you say to people who want to stay? This official had a one-word response, don't. But then he did say, if you choose to stay, you have to make sure that you have at least three to four days worth of provisions to get you through the next few days because it's going to be tough for emergency people, emergency responders to get to you. Why is that? Well, you take a look at where we are here and how low we are to the water. We're in St. Mark's. This is the St. Mark's River. The Wakala River converges with it just beyond my right shoulder down there, and then just beyond that is Apalachicola Bay. Uh, what we're told is that Appalachie Bay has never had a Category 3 storm. We're we're also told that this area, St. Mark's right here, is going to get about a six-foot storm surge, which means that the wind is going to act like a snowplow, pushing all this water here way past where I am here. Residents here fully expect this whole area here to be flooded uh, by tomorrow morning when the storm hits. Again, people uh, being urged to leave. The sheriff deputies have been going door-to-door, knocking on doors in Florida, as elsewhere, When it's a mandatory evacuation, it means they cannot physically pull you out of your house, but they strongly urge you to leave. with the latest forecast, Jake, uh, and you can see kind of how low we are to the water here, that really is something that people do need to heed. But uh, we did talk to several residents in this town who want to stay, and they're staying for various reasons. Uh, some of them say that their home is here. They want to make sure that they can check their home in case it's damaged. But, again, with the surge of water here, uh, again, this whole area is expected to be flooded. Not a safe place to be in the next few hours, Jake.
0: All right, CNN's Brian Todd in St. Mark's, just south of Tallahassee. Thanks so much. Hurricane Nadalia is expected to cause major flight delays and cancellations, of course, just ahead of the Labor Day travel weekend. CNN's Montine is at the magic wall right now to help us understand this. Pete, how busy is this holiday weekend Supposed to be even without the storm. Well, you know, a lot, a lot of people, Jake, have trips
11: planned for Disney and Universal, the Gulf Coast, Tampa Bay. You'll want to have your airlines app downloaded and dialed up because here is the issue. There are so many people planning to travel for the Labor Day rush, sort of the climax of the big. Summer travel rush, it may be the biggest on record. The FAA says Thursday will be the biggest day in terms of the number of flights scheduled, but the TSA says Friday will be the biggest in terms of the number of passengers boarding flights. The issue now is that the storm is going for some major airports on the Florida Gulf Coast. Tampa International Airport already closed, closed at midnight. Uh, St. Pete Clearwater just closed at 3 p.m. Some 75% of all of the cancellations in the U.S., our flights into and out of Tampa right now, Southwest Airlines especially hard hit. I want you to listen now to John Tillicos, vice president of the Tampa International Airport. He says the big concern now is not only the airport and its infrastructure and the passengers, but the 10,000 employees who work at the airport. He says they just had to shut the airport down preemptively. Listen.
4: Impacting
2: people's travel plans is is not something we take lightly and suspending flight operations is a last resort uh, for our team here at TPA. But safety is paramount and we have to ensure that we're protecting our employees and airport infrastructure that could be damaged by wind or water.
11: The big concern at Tampa International Airport is the storm surge. You can see the airport here almost right on Tampa Bay. They're expecting storm surge at the airport for to seven feet. So they're thinking that they may be able to do a damage assessment sometime tomorrow morning, potentially reopening the airport on Thursday. But we will see the cancellations and delays for tomorrow already
0: piling up, Jake. All right, Pete Monteen, thanks so much. As the hurricane strengthens, the concern about the potentially deadly storm surge continues to grow. We're going to have an update from the Florida's governor ahead. Stay with us. Hurricane Idalia is now a Category 2 storm and continues to rapidly strengthen and intensify. Idalia is expected to make landfall tomorrow morning in the Big Bend area of Florida where the panhandle uh, meets the peninsula. But, but as with any storm, the forecast track could change. We saw that in 2004 with Hurricane Charlie. It was set to hit Tampa Bay in the western part of the state, but it suddenly shifted south devastating places such as Captiva Island and Cayo Costa and Port Charlotte. More recently, Hurricane Ian landed in southwestern Florida as a category four. This was September last year. The storm was predicted to hit Florida far south of Tampa, but then it suddenly shifted far north before it shifted south again. I want to bring in Jamie Rome. He's the deputy director of the National Hurricane Center. Um, thanks for joining us, Jamie. We've seen the expected landfall move north as the day has progressed. Is there still a chance for a major change in Idalia's path, do you think? No, I think it's pretty well locked in at
13: this point. We're looking at uh, landfall somewhere in the Florida Big Bend area.
0: Um, it's in the main concern with... All right, so uh, Jamie has uh, gone out there. Uh, let us go to uh, our next individual will be John Berman. He is uh, he is live for us in Steenhatchy, Florida, which is far south uh, of Tallahassee. But while we're waiting to get Berman's signal up, let's uh, bring you the map right now. Let me just show you again the Big Bend area of Florida where the storm is headed. Uh, the Big Bend is basically the corner of the panhandle, if we could get the map where that actually shows the panhandle and the peninsula at the same time, uh, there it is. You see on the uh, in the area of where the hurricane is scheduled and, and tracked to, to hit, that area right there, which is near Tallahassee, is called the Big Bend. Uh, it is where the panhandle of Florida hits the peninsula, hits the, the Gulf Coast, while the hurricane has been traveling over uh, the Gulf of Mexico, which is warmer than it has been in the past. It is gaining even more strength. So now let us go to CNN News Central anchor John Berman, who is live in Steenhatchy, Florida, far south of Tallahassee. And John, we know mandatory evacuations are underway right now where you are. What, what is the major concern for residents there? the major concern is the storm surge jake there's just no question about it i'm standing
3: right now at a marina and hurricane hermine which hit in 2016 people were walking around this area with water up to their waist that was six foot storm surge they're talking about 10 to 15 feet of storm surge here so if it was at their waist at six feet you can imagine 10 to 15 feet it would be well over their head this area could just be inundated that is the fear here they haven't had a storm like this here period, full stop, that anyone can really remember. The ones that have passed through are much weaker or the ones that were stronger didn't hit and send this kind of storm surge. That's what they're most concerned about. We just talked to a couple people with the sheriff's department. The sheriffs have been going door to door trying to get people to leave these low-lying areas, particularly if they don't live in really strong brick houses. And the sheriffs were telling me they're having some success. They have convinced some people who are planning to stay They've convinced them to go because they told them, look, this one is just different. We know the people who live around here, this is a fishing town of about 500 to 1,000 people, depending on what time of year. They know the water and they know the weather. They like to think that they can, can ride through just about anything. What the sheriffs are trying to tell them is, guys, this one is different. Please take this very seriously, Jake.
0: And we should note also, uh, John, and I remember covering uh, the aftermath of Hurricane uh, Katrina and the levees breaking in New Orleans with you back in 2005. Uh, and w- one of the things I think a lot of people who don't live in areas like this don't understand is that this is not just like an o- ocean water that is now five feet in a town. This is, a, it's a cesspool, really. I mean, this is it's dangerous water. It has oil in it. It has all sorts of contaminants. Uh, In many cases, it's toxic. Uh, It's not just like fun ocean water.
3: No, it's a really good point. And there's water everywhere. I mean, the Steahatchee River, which is what I'm on right now, this is fresh water and it flows out uh, until the Gulf of Mexico. And we can actually see it flowing out, which is a good sign right now. The concern is it's going to flow in and it's going to flow in. 5, 10, 15 feet maybe above where it is right now. They've had flooding here just from rain, just from fresh water in the past. They've had real flooding issues over the last few years, but that's with the water upriver. The freshwater that's been falling and then coming down here is very vulnerable, very fragile, and it's not just this one river. There are all kinds of waterways, so once you start pushing a wall of water into it, as you said, it just creates so many problems, unhealthy, unsafe, and for a time, perhaps unlivable.
0: All right, John Berman uh, in uh, uh, Thank you so much. We're standing by for an update any minute from uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, as the powerful Hurricane Nadalia moves in uh, and his residents, his constituents uh, are in its path. This is just hours away before the worst of the storm will hit Florida's Gulf Coast. We'll be right back. We're back with the latest on the track of Hurricane Adalia, which is now a dangerous Category 2 storm and getting stronger. Its maximum sustained winds right now are about 100 miles an hour. We're awaiting a news conference from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with all the latest information, and we will have much more ahead on Hurricane Adalia. Um, But let's turn right now for a moment to our law and justice lead because CNN's Sarah Murray is monitoring developments in Georgia, where a state court is preparing for next week's arraignments In the election interference case against former President Trump and his 18 co-defendants accused, essentially, of trying to steal Georgia's electoral votes through fraud, the Fulton County District Attorney, Sarah, is still pressing for an October trial for all 19 defendants, including Donald Trump, October? October?
8: Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's a little bit of herding cats going on in her latest filing. She's saying, look, Ken Chesbro said he wants a speedy trial. You said to the judge, you know, you're going to try him in October. We are still want to try all of these 19 defendants together. So she's essentially telling the judge, this is our goal. If your goal is to try some people separately because they want to have a speedy trial, or if some people want to sever off of this case and be tried separately, we need to have a hearing on these issues and to brief them. But she's making very clear she She would still like to go to trial in October, and she would like to go to trial with all 19 defendants at that time, Jake.
0: The arraignment in the Georgia election interference case, the deadline is scheduled for a week from tomorrow, September 6th. CNN, of course, will cover that. Do we know if former President Trump has any plans to go to Atlanta for the arraignment?
8: They haven't signaled yet what their plans are, but obviously we've heard from Donald Trump over and over again, complaining that these cases are election interference. So you would wonder why he would choose to go in person if you have the opportunity to waive your arraignment. And we've seen a number of his other co-defendants in this case enter their not guilty pleas with the judge, say they intend to waive arraignment. And normally that's allowed in this court in these kinds of cases, unless we hear otherwise from the judge. I would be surprised if Donald Trump doesn't take that opportunity, but we'll see.
0: Also today, a judge asked for additional briefs on Mark Meadows' bid to move the Georgia election case from Georgia court to federal court. He says he... he, needs to do this because he was serving at the pleasure of the president, his White House chief of staff at the time. What do we know about that today?
8: Well, the judge wants some more information, even though, of course, he had a whole day hearing on this issue. But there is still a legal matter he wants sorted out. And that's this question of, look, if one of the acts that Mark Meadows did that was written out in this indictment, something he did allegedly in furtherance of this conspiracy, could be chalked up to his role as the White House chief of staff, is that enough for Mark Meadows to be able to move this to federal court? Or does he clear the bar. And he wants to hear from Meadows attorneys on that. He wants to hear from the district attorney on that. And he wants to hear from all of them by Thursday afternoon, which tells you that whatever the judge's decision is going to be on this matter, it's not coming at us before Friday, Jake.
0: All right, Sarah Murray, thanks so much for the update. Appreciate it. We're joined now by Colorado Republican Congressman Ken Buck. He's a member of the House Freedom uh, Caucus. Uh, Congressman Buck, good to see you. We've now seen Donald Trump indicted in four different cases uh, and the jockeying is underway to set trial dates, all of which will conflict with the Republican presidential primaries and caucuses. Um, what's your feeling about how distracting Trump's legal troubles will be uh, for the Republican Party writ large?
13: Well, first, I think it's going to be very distracting for the uh, former president because he's he's got to be in different locations uh, that aren't holding primaries. And, and I think it is going to be newsworthy whenever he shows up in the court. So he'll get a bump with that. But I think uh, in terms of the debate that we saw last week, it's difficult to uh, go after the former president's policies. Um, And it's also one of the things that's talked about the most is not the answers that are given on the stage, but the answers that weren't given uh, because the former president wasn't there.
0: Donald Trump keeps dismissing his legal troubles as election interference. You've read the indictments. Uh, Is that how you see it? Uh, Or do you think Donald Trump is in legitimate legal peril, at least in, in one or two of these cases? I, I think there are a
13: couple of cases that uh, and I'm, I'm sure the president and his a former president and his attorneys are taking all of these very seriously. But uh, there are a couple of cases, uh, the classified documents case, for example, that I think is a very serious case. And I'm sure the president is focused on defending himself in, in that case.
0: Let's turn to the re- Republican leadership. The House Republican leadership's push to open an impeachment inquiry targeting uh, President Biden. Uh, last month, you notably called impeachment talk a shiny object. Uh, to distract from budget negotiations, what are you hearing uh, about the impeachment inquiry conversation uh, in your discussions with uh, other members of the House Republican Caucus, and, and for that matter, from your constituents back home?
13: Yeah, so I think the uh, the Speaker is intending uh, to either bring a floor vote, or um, it doesn't appear that one is necessary by the Constitution. He may just uh, order an impeachment inquiry uh to move forward uh, the the my my constituents back here uh really in in all of Colorado are split on on this issue uh a lot of them uh and, and and part of this Jake I think it's it's fair to say it doesn't justify having an impeachment inquiry or an impeachment of President Biden but part of this is based on the fact that President Trump was impeached twice and acquitted twice by the Senate uh I think there is more of an appetite on the right now for impeachment because it really uh, uh, hasn't been respected the way it was for the last 150, 200 years. So I think that uh, my constituents back here, some of them want revenge, some of them want retribution, and others want to get over this and they want to move on and and solve the problems that that we face in this country.
0: I mean, for the record, the the second impeachment was after January 6, and and it was a bipartisan vote uh, to uh, impeach uh, Donald Trump in the both in in the House and and the Senate, but Republicans in both the House and Senate voted against Donald Trump for that impeachment so that uh, it might be observed that they're not even equal uh, in, of imp- in importance uh, in that way.
13: Well, I, th- I think that's right. I think, you know, the, the first impeachment, uh, one d- Democrat who's now changed to Republican, Jeff Randrew, uh, voted not to impeach uh, the president. And in the second impeachment, I think there were 10 or 11 Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump. So. Uh, yes, uh, but we'll see what happens uh, with this. Obviously, we're not at the point where we're ready to offer evidence of impeachment, but rather just to start an inquiry into whether impeachment is appropriate.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm still not quite sure what crime uh, Joe Biden is to have committed, but um, we'll get to that at a later date, because I want to bring up the fact that your leader, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Uh, Republican of Louisiana, uh, relieved, uh, revealed, uh, rather, today that he's being treated for a form of blood cancer. Obviously, uh, all of us are are hoping for the best for him. Have you spoken with Leader Scalise at all? I have
10: not
13: spoken with him. I've exchanged texts with him. Um, And uh, as a cancer survivor, I have uh, wished him the best. He is a tough cookie. He uh, obviously survived a a shooting incident and and has been living with those injuries and and has a, a really strong uh, soul. And I, I believe that if anybody can overcome this blood cancer, it will certainly be uh, the uh, leader,
0: Scalise. All right, Colorado Republican Congressman Ken Buck, good to see you, sir, as always. Thanks so much for joining us.
13: Good to see you. Thanks.
0: Any moment now, we expect to hear from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as Hurricane Nadalia approaches the state of Florida. Moments ago, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told me that the Biden administration is in constant contact with Florida emergency officials. We're going to have new updates from the Florida governor ahead. <laughs> And we're back with our continuing coverage of Hurricane Idalia, the powerful storm currently making its way towards Florida's Gulf Coast. We're waiting to hear an update from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And as soon as that starts, we will bring that to you live. Let's bring back CNN meteorologist Chad Myers right now. Chad, the slightest wobble in the storm track could have could have big implications. You've talked about this uh, happening in the past. What's the latest on this track?
2: Yeah, the wobble problem is that the storm track is almost going parallel to the Florida coast. So a one or two degree track changes where the landfall will be compared to a perpendicular landfall where one to two degrees only makes one or two miles. I mean, one or two degrees could make 10 miles or so. We're still kind of, though, in that wildlife refuge area, even if we go left or right just a little bit. 100 mile per hour storm right now. A couple things to notice here. A little bit of a brighter color pattern, a little bit more purple in the center, of the eye. That means that the storms are higher, they're colder, they're intensifying. Something else that I've just seen here on the radar, we're seeing lightning again, which means likely an intensification process going on. The track has changed a little bit slightly to the west, 20 20 miles or so from the last advisory at five o'clock. But that puts hurricane force winds all the way into Georgia. There are hurricane warnings in Georgia can't remember the last time I've seen a hurricane warning cross state lines, but that's what's going to happen here. If we have a 125 mile per hour, 120 mile per hour storm moving fairly quickly, it's not going to slow down in time to not be a hurricane by the time it gets to Georgia. There's the lightning I'm talking about right around the center. Now, notice there's an awful lot of lightning here in parts of Florida as well. We talked about this yesterday where there's a potential even for some tornadoes on land here. No watches or warnings right now, but there were some warnings earlier around Marco Island and the wind gusts are now picking up somewhere around 20 to 25 there on the west coast of Florida. So a few changes have gone on here over the past couple of hours. There is the storm itself. I think likely that this is going to be onshore somewhere around six to seven o'clock tomorrow morning. But that doesn't mean that's when the initial wind starts. The wind is going to be well ahead of that three, four, five o'clock. We're going to hear things go bump in the night for sure. And because it's tracked a little bit farther to the west, That puts Tallahassee more into the wind event, where 60 to 70 mile per hour winds would certainly bring down quite a few power lines trees in the beautiful city of Tallahassee. Something else that's going to go on, likely I-10 will at least be shut down for a while because those same trees are going to be falling down across the interstate and have to get removed before you see all of that traffic continue. Tallahassee, not only with the wind, but almost six inches of rain. You put that on top of a tree with wet roots, and all of a sudden, trees start to come down. It's going to be
0: a rough night. All right, Chad Myers, thanks so much. Hurricane Adalia already whipped its way through the western edge of Cuba, causing major flooding and power outages there. CNN's Patrick Ottman is in Havana for us. Patrick, how severe is the damage in Cuba?
14: Well, you know, the sun is out behind me, but don't be fooled. Uh, Cuba took a, a licking today, and uh, they're just beginning now to assess the damage. We are talking about thousands of people who were forced to evacuate from coastal areas. Now hundreds of thousands of people, according to official uh, numbers, that are still without power. And the government has to go, and it's going to be a slow work, uh, to begin the, the, the job of restoring power, of fixing power poles down power lines. We saw uh, dramatic scenes of flooding across western Cuba. Cuba, uh, people that uh, had inches of, of rain in their house, a storm surge, and uh, you know that that pickup process is only beginning now. Whole areas of agriculture uh, that were uh, just slammed into, and the thing to remember, Jake, is this storm came into Cuba as a tropical storm, left here as a Category One, and it really just skirted the western edge of this island. So Cuba, by comparison, got lucky. The storm that's going to be going to Florida will be a much more powerful storm. All the same, it did a lot of damage here.
0: All right, Patrick Ottman in Havana, Cuba. Thank you so much. Much more from Florida and Hurricane Adalia ahead as this major storm gains strength over the warm waters in the Gulf of Mexico. But let's turn now momentarily to our law and justice lead. The graduate student accused of killing a faculty member at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill yesterday appeared in court today. This is police are still looking for a motive and the weapon that was used in yesterday's shooting. CNN's Nick Valencia is tracking the story. Nick, what, what more do we know about the suspect
15: and the charges he's facing and, and the victim? Yeah, Tai Lei Chi made his initial court appearance where the judge read the charges he's facing, including a first-degree murder charge as well as possession of a handgun on education property. And according to the police report, a handgun was a nine millimeter pistol. Uh, The uh, judge didn't require him to enter a plea. And they also said that he will be continuing uh, to be held without bond. Police right now are examining the connection between the victim and the suspect. The victim identified as an associate professor there in the Department of Applied Physical Sciences, Sujia Yan, who's been working at the university since 2019. At a press conference earlier today, the university chancellor, as well as UNC police chief, talked about the tragedy and mentioned that the the victim was a father of two young children.
1: The victim and suspect knew each other, and the suspect went directly to the victim and then left caudal labs. We are still exploring the relationship uh, between the professor as well as the suspect.
15: The incident caused panic on campus, and for uh, hours, there was a scarcity of information. The shooting happened at the heart of UNC Chapel Hill uh, near the bell tower, and according to officials, classes will remain canceled until Thursday, and at the bell tower, they will have a ringing of the bell to commemorate what happened, followed by a moment of silence. Meanwhile, Jake, that suspect, uh, Ty Chi, he has a probable cause hearing for September uh, 18th. They're still looking for that weapon used in the alleged attack as well as trying to figure out a motive. Jake? I know that campus very well. My, my late grandfather used to be the head of the physics department
0: at, mm. the, at UNC Chapel Hill. My mom went there. Uh, how are the good people uh, in Chapel Hill doing today?
15: You know, they're still processing it. I've been speaking to students, both current and former students, and some of them who just started their college career, uh, you know, they've been called Generation Lockdown because they've gone through these situations post-Sandy Hook and post-Columbine, of course. Uh, They're terrified, and they're still processing exactly what happened. For some of them, this was their worst nightmare that came true. Jake?
0: Nick Valencia, thank you so much. In our world lead, it has been two years... Since the deadly attack on Abbey Gate at the Kabul airport during the chaotic withdrawal of the U.S. from Afghanistan, today the families of 13 of the U.S. service members killed in that attack spoke out on Capitol Hill.
10: Those men and women
5: in uniforms loved their jobs and they carried out this humanitarian evacuation in the worst of circumstances. There were failures and I can count over half a dozen opportunities to stop This tragic ending. Systems we have in place were ignored. Our armed services' request for air support. Multiple, multiple military personnel saying this is not a good idea. Our snipers asking for permission to engage. Every
10: one of them ignored. These are red flags. Why were they ignored?
0: Exactly two years ago today, these families met their loved ones' remains at Dover Air Force Base. Two years later, they are still searching for answers about what happened on that fateful day in Kabul.
1: We want answers, we need answers, and we expect those answers. I'm calling on you, please, please. Don't let this fall through the cracks.
0: They want answers. They need answers. They also deserve answers. In our Worldly Today, a private funeral was held for Wagner mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. this according to a company Prigozhin owned. Video appears to show Prigozhin buried next to his father at an old small cemetery in St. Petersburg, Russia. Russian media says about 30 people attended. Russian President Vladimir Putin was reportedly not one of them. This funeral comes about a week after Prigozhin. And nine others were killed when their private plane crashed near Moscow. The major update this hour, Hurricane Adalia now a powerful Category 2 hurricane. It's expected to balloon into a major Category 3 storm before it slams the Florida Gulf Coast. Tonight, we're standing by to hear from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. We'll have the latest on this monster storm up next in the Situation Room.